What's up, Candy Lickers? Pleased to meet you. Nice to know me what you do, and you're listening to another edition of Cassio's Cut. I'm your host, Cassio, of course, and I'm excited to be joined by this week's special guest, Kevin Martin of Candlebox. What's up, my man? <laughs> my blood pressure, bro. <laughs> That's what's up. I saw, I saw, I, uh, I saw you uh, talk before with somebody, and uh, they were asking you how you were getting ready to go on tour, and you said uh, diet, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all sorts of, sh- you know, it's been a, it's been a rough year and a half, man. Um, but, um, just excited that we're able to get out there and play these shows. You know, I, um, I, it's all good. I, I, we just did whatever, like eight shows a couple weeks ago and it was strange, but, um, you know, I, it's interesting. I thought that the excitement level was going to be a lot more, um, with audiences, even like you know, being able to be out and see live music and people are still pretty concerned with, you know, kind of their health and what's going on. And, and, um, so it's making it a little strange, but, um, hopefully that goes away soon. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows of this thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Every day it changes into something else. Um, yeah. well, I'm excited. I know you guys are taking a little bit of a break. Like you said, you got some shows under your belt, getting the sea legs back onto you. And then, starting back here in September, starting the full-blown tour back up, and you've got a brand-new album about to drop. So I want to talk to you about it. I got lucky enough to listen to the whole thing. I'm super excited to talk to you about a few of the songs. First, you got to survive the countdown. I'll give you the 10 questions that I ask everybody, and then we'll talk about some rock and roll music. That cool? Good, yeah. Number 10, name something that's a perfect 10 in your life. My wife. Nicely done, sir. Hopefully watch it and you score points. Number nine, <laughs> nine's a German word for no. Which something you wish was no more in life? D- this COVID. <laughs> Easy answer. Yeah. Eight, when you die, what's what do you want to be the last thing you ate? What's your last meal? <laughs> you can mix and match, restaurant, home cooking, appetizer, dessert, whatever you want. A, a good dry rub southern rib. Oh, okay. Well, you're coming. I'm in Huntsville, Alabama. So yeah. you're coming to Nashville and Birmingham. I, maybe I can bring some ribs to both of them. I love it. Okay. Uh, number seven, when you were seven years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A rock star. Always. No backup yeah. plan. No, I, I didn't have a backup plan. I still don't. <laughs> still don't. <laughs> uh, number six, how do you want to end up six feet under? Uh, asleep. I'd like to just go asleep and uh, and have that be you know nice, nice, quiet, simple, peaceful rest. Simple death. Yeah. 
Uh, number five, five finger discount. What's the last thing you stole? Oh, oh man. Uh, now, now, toiletries from the hotel doesn't count. Now, if you're like the pillow guy or the towel guy from the hotel, that's a stealing. No, I, I'm not a I'm not a hotel theft guy. I, I um, think you've brought in enough change where, change where you don't have to steal cable from the neighbor anymore. But yeah, <laughs> uh, probably twenty bucks for my wife's wallet. <laughs> you're going I mean, to get I, ribs, apparently. Probably. I think I was. I, I think I was. Uh, yeah, I think that's the last thing I, I took. I took twenty bucks from her, and then she's like, "Hey, did you take twenty dollars on my wallet?" I was like, "No." Oh, <laughs> Why do you, I don't know why we have to feel the li- need to lie to our wife. No, I don't know. never seen it. Never seen no. it. No, I think our son took it. Must be dead. Must be him. <laughs> Ground him. Get him out of here. Yeah. All right. Uh, number uh, four. Give me four pizza toppings on the perfect pizza. Cheese doesn't count. It's already there. Pepperoni, Italian sausage, uh, pepperoncinis, yeah. and uh, black olives. Ooh. Thin crust or thick? Oh, I love a thin crust. I love a New York style. New York style. Got the flop going. All yeah, right. Yeah. Three, three albums on a deserted island. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Fiz- okay. Not what? I was going to say, you're not going to get arguments. Like you're not saying they're the three best albums ever. These are just three yeah. you could listen to solo. Led Zeppelin, physical graffiti. Um, wow. That's a good one. Um, Rolling Stones, music? Rolling Stones, Tattoo You, and because because I love it, it's a hodgepodge of like classic songs that they never finished, and it's I think it's one of the perfect most perfect albums ever made. Um, and then I would have to say probably um, Aerosmith, Rocks. Mm. Oh, nice! There we go. Yeah, yeah, That's a lot of rock. Yeah, no variation. No, I love those. Those three albums for me are all perfect rock and roll records. I love, I love R and B and and I love classic R and B. Otis Redding is my favorite singer, but what I love about rock and roll music, and I love punk rock. I grew up on punk rock and new wave music. I love it, but rock and roll, all those records to me were just so formative and right. uh, and important to me. You know, um, I, I mean, waiting on a friend is it's just such an incredibly beautiful song um, that the Stones wrote. And, uh, you know, those things, those albums always kind of settle me, if you will. Um, if I'm in a place where I feel a little bit agitated or, or I'm, you know, um, upset or whatever, those, those three albums can really kind of bring me back to what I love about life and, and what I remember as a kid. And, you know, a, a song, you hear a song and it plays a movie in your head, you know, and that's what I love about those records. Were you always a Stones guy? Yeah, always been a Stones fan. Of course, I know. Uh, recording this just after the uh, passing of Charlie Watts. Yeah, yeah. Super underrated sad. and uh, kind of not appreciated enough, even as big as they were. Not appreciated enough as the backbone of that band. It's funny. I saw the Stones several times, um, and every time Charlie Watts was introduced, he got the more the most cheers of any of the members of the band, <laughs> and still didn't smile. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just go, give a little wave. Yeah. Can we do this? Okay, 100,000 people screaming. And he's like. <laughs> Appreciate it. We got a song to jam. Come on. Yeah. 
right. Yeah. Uh, number two, give me two concerts. One's the first concert you ever went to. Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, and Butthole Surfers in San Antonio, Texas. Woo! Who are you with? Uh, a, a senior. I was a freshman, and um, my friend Reagan took me to that show. I was 12 years old. It was my first concert. Were you a fan, or did they say you're going to a concert, and you're like, hell yeah, let's go? No, I was a huge fan. Um, like I mentioned earlier, punk rock was something that I uh, kind of got into right around the age of seven or eight. My sister um, had a Blondie eight track, um, uh, which I was just parallel lines. I mean, it was like one of my favorite records, still is one of my favorite records. Um, and then I, of course, found the Ramones and, and the Clash and then Black Flag. Um, when I moved to Texas uh, my in eighth grade, um, a friend of mine that I met my first week of school gave me this um, record by a band called Fearless Iranians from Hell, which was a San Antonio punk band. Uh, and I Iranians from hell, from hell, yeah, immediately got stuck, sucked into that. And then that came Black Flag and all that stuff came kind of came after that. All right. And then second concert I need is the last concert you went to as a fan. You weren't playing. You just went, I need to go to this concert. Lana Del Rey. Oh, nice. When yeah, was that? that? Uh, that was September of 2019. We, she would play the Hollywood Bowl. Fantastic artist. Her her Sublime cover is fantastic too. She's she's a. Uh, I mean, I, I it was funny when I watched her that time on Saturday Night Live. I guess everybody was giving her shit about her performance. I thought to myself, I I was the first person that was shocked that anybody gave her shit about it because I was like, man, this person gives zero fucks what anybody thinks, right. and I love that, and I and I think she's done that every single record, and I I think that's just fascinating that. She just does not give a shit, man. Um, she does what she wants to do, how she wants to do it. And if people like it, they do. If they don't, they don't. I mean, I think that's fascinating. It's a beautiful thing as a recording artist when you can, yeah. when you have that mindset. Some yeah. never get it and some takes longer to get. Yeah. Did y'all have it from the beginning? When'd you get it? I had it from the beginning. I mean, I, I guess that probably comes from the whole punk rock uh, aspect of my life, you know, starting drums when I was 12 years old and playing in punk bands and not caring what anybody thought. Um, you know, I, even when Seattle, I think the only time I really felt, um, a little insecure about maybe what the band image was, was I had bought my first car. Um, I, I never owned a car and then I got my royalty check and I bought a Porsche and I pulled up at a stoplight and, uh, Chris Cornell pulled up next to me uh, with his now ex-wife, Susan Silver. And he was in the passenger seat. And he's like, nice car. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I was like, I don't deserve this car. I don't, this, what am I doing? This is so stupid. He's Chris Cornell and he's in the passenger seat and they're driving a Jeep. I mean, I was so embarrassed. And, and I'd known him for years. I mean, because I, I had worked with Susan at a shoe store when she was managing them early on. I was 16 years old. So I was like, I just... I was, it was so weird because I'm like, I know you were friends. I don't know why I feel so insecure about this. But that was kind of the first time where I really cared what somebody thought of me um, in Seattle. And, and I never got over that. I, I'll tell that story till the day I die. That It is one of those moments as a musician where I just felt like um, I did not deserve the success I had. It was weird. It was a weird feeling. Did you sell the Porsche? No, kept it. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't hurt you too bad. Nah, I mean, it's, it's still a damn Porsche. It's still a Porsche. 
All right, and uh, number one, we'll get out of the countdown and talk about this brand-new record that's about to drop. I always ask, I don't even know if you're a wrestling fan or not, but I always ask if you're a wrestler, who could you? Who would you be? I don't know much about wrestling. Um, Were you ever into it as a tiny kid, any? No, I was, I was more baseball and basketball and football. Um, I guess growing up in the Midwest, I mean, I'm 52 years old, so, you know, in the 70s there wasn't a lot of – televised wrestling and and my family there was a period where we were on government cheese on welfare and stuff so there wasn't a lot of money for me to go out and experience that sort of thing so and then of course when i turned you know 12 years old 13 years old i wasn't going to be interested in anything like that it was more about chicks and and um and music so i never really got into it i guess uh i i mean i know i know of uh hulk hogan and um the snap into a slim jim guy um (laughs) And then there's a guy named Ric Flair or something like that, yeah. uh, which buddy of mine dressed up as as Halloween, which I thought was who are you? And he's like Ric Flair. I'm like who the fuck's Ric Flair? But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any of that stuff. Let me um, guess, so he I had didn't... a bathrobe and he just wooed all the time. That was pretty much yeah, it. Woo! Ex- <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he did with a blonde wig. He had a blonde wig on. Oh look at that! Right here, look at that. That's, that's it. That, that's that's exactly who he was trying to beat. No, but that's that's him. No. <laughs> all right. You, you survived the countdown. Thank God. Now let's talk about uh, some new music from Candlebox, which I'm super excited about. Uh, seventh album, right? Seventh studio album? Yeah, seventh studio, yeah. Uh, album called Wolves coming out September 17th, just a couple weeks. Um, one, uh, did you, how much of this did you have recorded pre-pandemic or was this all pandemic album? It's uh, pre-pandemic. We recorded this August of 2019. Um, and then I finished the vocals in January of 2020. And then the record was mixed and mastered um, in February. It was supposed to come out August of last year. So we've been sitting on this thing for almost two years. How does that feel? Are you, is it nerve wracking or is it you just, I need to get this out? It's a little it- nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I remember when Seether released um, their record last year, I, I was thinking to myself, God, why are you doing that? Um, because it's it's so difficult as a rock band to to move any units or have anybody pay attention if you're not touring, and um, so for me, uh, I guess the the whole element of, of putting this record out without being able to support it was a no brainer. I mean, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I the label was the label was pushing for release dates from Sony. Um, who is their um, distributor and Sony was like, you know, the only thing we have is fourth quarter. And I was like, man, this is just ridiculous. Let's just sit on this thing. You know, it's, there's going to be plenty of time. People, people who know who Candlebox are, they, they, we know we're making a record. Um, there's no real rush. We've never been a band that's released a record every two years. So it's not like anybody was really waiting for it. Um, so the decision was to just let this kind of, COVID thing work its way to where we felt that there was some sort of opportunity for us to be able to support it. So when we knew that things were opening up um, later in the summer, that's when we kind of started talking with the label. And, and luckily, Pavement was able to secure this September date last year with Sony anyway. So it was always kind of scheduled to come out this September. Um, we're just really glad that that's actually going to happen. Let's talk about some of the songs coming out September 17th, Wolves. Uh, talking with Kevin Martin, of course, for Candlebox. Um, 
my wife's fave is my weakness. I didn't even tell her it was Candlebox. I'm just listening to it in the car. And about the second or third time it came through, she said, what, what is this song? Because this is a great song. Tell me about my weakness. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, it's yeah, it's a chick song. Um, it's a summer. <laughs> it's a summer song. I didn't want to know? say it. I'm glad you said. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's, it's songs about my wife. Uh, a, a very good friend of mine, Don Miggs, wrote it for me. I this this kind of wheelhouse musically is not. It doesn't exist in my world. I don't have this kind of songwriting ability. But I wanted a song that felt like a Brian Adams, Bruce Springsteen. Um, summertime rock anthem and and he he's also my he's not only a good friend of mine um and a best friend of mine but he's also my wife's business partner with this clothing line she has so he has experienced our relationship over the past 12 years and and he knows how much my wife means to me and um and she's really kind of kryptonite to me i i every time you know i try to push something and she you know gives me those eyes or whatever i just kind of I know that it's not going to happen and I'm okay with it. You know, it's because um, she's a smart woman and she knows what's good for me. And, and I love that about her. So he wrote this song kind of about our relationship and what she means to me. And, and for just from the outside looking in, and that's how good of a songwriter is, um, is that he was able to do that. And, uh, and I love singing this song. And I think that's kind of evident when you listen to it, because I, I, I just, there's so much energy in it. It's got, um, it, it, it's got this anxiousness to it that I, I really love. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that people have responded to it the way they have, because it's, it's a song that I am just really proud of. Um, you know, I didn't write it. Uh, I, I think I changed like five or six words in the song maybe. Um, so it's, it was written for me and I, uh, and I love it. And that's the first time I've actually had a song that's been written for me that I've, I've been able to attach myself to. I was about to ask, I don't think you guys do that very much and play no. other people's song. No. Um, another one that's kind of out of the box for me that might be a sneaky favorite of mine on the album that does not sound like a candle box song is Riptide. Uh, it's kind of a fascinating song to me. It almost, I don't, I, I hate labeling music, especially when I'm talking to the guy that did the music, but it, it almost seems like a, it could slide into a country station, whatever that is now, but it's just got a, it's interesting sound about it. Just. Just tell me about Riptide. Just a fascinating song to me. Thank you. It's um, it was a song that uh, I wrote with um, this kid named Keith Longo. Um, I was I was expressing with my management about the opportunities of writing with musicians that don't come from the the world I come from. It's um, you know, with Candlebox when we first started the band, it was always me writing with Pete, or me writing with Barty, or me or me writing with. Um, uh, Robbie, who was who was playing with us in um, in the uh, Happy Pills tour, so I've always kind of had that you know opportunity to write with musicians that um, were in my band. But writing with outside musicians is something that is really interesting because it triggers a side of you as as an artist that, uh, or if they're good at it, it triggers that side of you as an artist that is outside of your um, comfort zone. Riptide with uh, with this kid Keith Longo. He had sent me five songs. All of them were great. Um, he's a pop writer, and um, and I and I went and met with him, and I said, "Listen, I, I love this track. I need to make it feel like um, Candlebox, and and I need to kind of get out of the whole drum loop thing that you got going here. Are you okay with that?" He's like, "Yeah, man. I I'm just a musician that writes songs, and so we really." 
dug in, we, 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 we dug our heels in and, and kicked the dirt around a lot with this one, um, looking for that kind of ballad sensibility that people love from Candlebox. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with like Disappearing Airports, it's a song like Alive at Last. Um, Into the Sun, of course, it's Breathe Me In. Uh, Happy Pills, it's All Right. Uh, Lucy, Blossom, uh, you know, all, all these kinds of songs that people kind of recognize us for. Um, and it, so it really kind of took shape when we got in the studio and started uh, working with the band on it. So when Island and Brian got a hold of it, um, the guitar players, that's when the song really opened up to me. And I said uh, specifically to our producer, Dean, I said, this song needs to be able to cross over. And it needs to be able to cross over on every single level, whether that's country, pop, top 40. Um, so that's where he said, well, let's bring some strings in. Um, let's bring piano in and let's make this a, a textural uh, object um, rather than a, uh, a linear object type of song. So all those textures are really instrumental to why this song kind of feels the way it does. And I love this song so much. I love playing it acoustically. I love playing it with the full band. The reaction live has been fantastic. And I think we have a real shot with this song of, of you know, kind of maybe lightning strikes twice, you know, in a bottle for us with this track. It's a beautiful song. Um, the story is amazing. It's about being pulled out from, um, from that uh, deep, dark hole that we all kind of find ourselves in as uh, human beings. When you've got that one person in your life that is able to find you and, uh, and, and pull you out of it, you know, and, and that's a, a really special thing. And I, you know, my dream is that everybody in the world has somebody like that, but that's not always the case, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm lucky to, uh, to have had several people in my life that have pulled me out of that dark hole, but specifically my wife, Natalie is really, really good at that. That's interesting. You, you, you said that I wrote down when I first heard it, one, it could kind of fit in almost all genres. So I, that's interesting. You went almost for that purpose and then two the more i listen to it the more i realize man these are kind of deep lyrics i mean it's got like the pop rock jam and then you're like wait a minute we got a serious lyrics going on here uh yeah. for just you're not serious but deep lyrics so fascinating song big fan of that song and i'm glad to hear Thank that uh, the crowd is uh, reacting to it hopefully good to see it live here just a couple more of course uh you mentioned uh let me down easy we've talked about it you wrote it with uh peter cornell Peter Cornell, Chris's brother, of course. So you wrote, like you said, a lot of stuff. But this is that and nothing left to lose. Just your standard candle box. You were bobbing the head. We were stomping the feet. You, you got that smell. You looks like you smell like shit. Or you're like just like. <laughs> I yeah, love nothing is, left to lose, man. <laughs> it's just that a song, jam, man. Yeah, it's and that outro. There's something about that outro of that song that just scares the shit out of me. Uh, I. I that song is an homage to, to Lemmy from Motorhead. That's why I sing it like, oh, yeah. like he would have sung it. And um, it's really about someone who's just at that point of their lives, like, I don't give a fuck, man. Let's just, let's just do this shit. Let's get out there and let's break some stuff. And, and I love that song. I love playing it live. I don't know. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It's certainly not the girl's cup of tea. But for guys <laughs> like you and me, it's certainly going to make us uh, really bang our heads, like you said. Yeah, I love that I'm track. In. I'll karate chop somebody next to me. I mean, and last but not least, <laughs> Uh, we got to talk about all down here from here, all downhill from here now. Which, as a wrestling fan, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Wrestler. Have you seen it? No. Oh, is that that's uh, Mickey Rourke, right? Yes. Yes, I have seen that. Film. It's very reminiscent of that of, of just a eye-opening 
uh, you know, you I've heard you talk about it before. And if as soon as people hear the song, it's a very deep, it's very, I guess, truthful, uh, kind of behind the curtain of, you know, you, you, I'm a rock star and I'm on top of the world. And, and now here we are, we're still rocking uh, and logging a lot of nights. And uh, you wrote this, of course, uh, with Chris Thorne from Blind Melon. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, just talk about this. I mean, it's, there's got to be a lot of truth in it. <laughs> Tons. I mean, it's totally autobiographical. I mean, that's the, what is it? The law line in the second verse, um, you know, I've seen some pretty faces, seen a couple thousand clowns, but the circus keeps on running. You know, I mean, that's really been my life for the past 30 years. I, I started this band when I was 21 years old. Um, I'm 52. Um, I, I've experienced some of the most amazing, um, beautiful things and some of the most heartbreaking things as a musician. And, um, and I'm still here. I'm still doing it. And the nice thing about where I'm at in my life now, my career is it, it's, I can just ride this out. You know, I can, I can enjoy this ride now. I'm on my way down. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not concerned about it. I'm not looking to be a, a massive star anymore. It's not, you know, instant gratification. I've had plenty of that, you know, right now it's just about enjoying this ride. Um, it's kind of like the Dewey Cox, you know, uh, what's the song he sings? Uh, it's been a, been a beautiful ride. Uh, and, you know, and to quote Dewey Cox, uh, <laughs> which I can't believe I'm doing, but it really I was has, say, I saw a lot of things in this interview. It was not Kevin Martin giving me a Dewey Cox quote. <laughs> I, Dewey Cox. I can smell, I can <laughs> smell that shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really been a beautiful ride and, and I'm, I'm just happy to fucking still be here, man. You know? And, um, and thank, thank you fans and, and folks out there that, that let me do this. Uh, I say it every single night and it never gets old um, getting to do what I do. And I just, I just love every minute of it. Well, tour is about to crank back up. Brand new album dropping September 17th. Wolves, we are super excited. I know they're going to love it. I know you guys, like you said, a little weird every single night. You never know how it's going to turn out, but I hope you guys, hope the energy starts coming back for everybody. I look forward to seeing you. If you're on tour, if you listen to this, in the South, Nashville and Birmingham's got both got dates, and everybody go uh, pre-order the album now. Candlebox on all social media. Kevin, thank you, man. I really appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you out in concert, brother. My pleasure, brother. Thank you. Nice chatting with you. I appreciate that. Have a good one. We'll see you.